0: All right, we're going to go ahead and begin here tonight. And uh, in just a moment, we'll be looking at a few different texts. Of course, you know, the main text coming from 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and then 1 John chapter 2, uh, verse 15 to 17. I'm actually just going to be referencing those. And I would encourage you in just a moment to turn to Ephesians chapter 4. And we're going to be looking at something there as well. Now, uh, we've been talking through a number of weeks about Satan and about whether we're looking at his devices, whether we're looking at how we are to defeat him, or uh, even tonight that we are to uh, abstain from every form of evil or avoid, as even some translations will render. And it wouldn't take long for me to ask, you know, just a couple of you guys, well, do you face a battle? Do you have battles in your lives? Every one of us would say yes. And though our battles may be different, we're all fighting the same enemy. And so it's best to learn his tactics. It's best to learn how to overcome. Now, I want to talk about something at the first part of this, that really deals with a different rendering of this verse for just a second. Uh, we're going to go into that for just a moment, and then we're going to dig through this this lesson I prepared for you guys tonight. Because I know many people are used to a certain rendering of this verse to uh, to avoid or abstain from every... What? Every appearance of evil. Some may remember that translation, that rendering of it. And it's something that the more I've studied, I tend to think, I don't think that's it. I think the. Uh, you guys who had put the outline together of the different topics, you did it very well, avoid every form of evil. I'm not going to go heavy Greek on you or go into all that kind of thing, uh, but it seems that we're seeking to avoid or abstain from every form of evil or even just the idea of practicing things that are evil, that are sinful. And think about that concept for just a moment. If it was to be every appearance of evil, if that was the case, I, I don't think it is but my question would be, well, according to whose standards? Are we talking about God? Are we talking about man's standards? Because if I were to ask maybe the older generation, and maybe something like playing cards, anybody have a negative connotation towards playing cards? Back in the day, you probably thought so. And it, you might think, well, that, that's, that's an appearance of evil. If you're playing cards with someone else, well, no, not, it's not something that's wrong. Or if we took this a step that's a little bit deeper, and we were to talk about Christ himself, can I ask you a question about Jesus? How many times did he do something that in the eyes of men appeared evil? <laughs> You lose count. <laughs> you really do. So, yeah. Yeah. And it, it tends to be the same culprits each time. Maybe not every time, but to a good degree. The scribes, the Pharisees, some type of religious leaders. Okay. He's dining with tax collectors and sinners. How dare him? The righteous don't do something like that, right? No, they miss the purpose. Okay. Yeah. 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 And even we'll, we'll kind of go a step more into this here, not just him eating with those, with the, as they said, the tax collectors and sinners, but what have we seen maybe in our, our Sunday morning studies in class? The Sabbath day is here. Jesus asked the question, is it lawful to do what? What's that? To yeah, to heal. Well, well, yes, it is. It absolutely is. But who's sitting there looking at him? ready to accuse him again the the religious leaders of his day well well they would think that that's evil that that appears evil that he's going to do this or maybe if we think about some of the instances in scripture beyond that where you have those like Stephen or Jesus himself and they're both accused of preaching against at least two things do you remember what those were What's that? Well, accused of, blasphemy. accused of blasphemy? Yeah. And I'm going to mention that in just a second. You're right. You're absolutely right. But what were two things? They were, okay, Moses, the temple. That's not what I was thinking, but you're right. You're absolutely right. The law, okay, the, the customs and all that. And so they, they would look at that and, well, it would appear he's, he's teaching against those things. It's an appearance of evil. Or then, as was stated just a moment ago, the idea of blasphemy. Think back to Matthew chapter 26 when Jesus is on trial and you have Him basically at the forefront there and He's shown to be the Son of God. Well, He is the Son of God. He's not committing blasphemy, but in their eyes it appears He's doing something evil. He's, he's admitted, whether in their eyes or not, to, to be the Son of God. It seems a blasphemous thing. Can I elaborate on something here. Does appearance necessarily mean right or wrong? Matthew 23, the scribes and Pharisees appeared more righteous than others. Were they? No. So this is why I kind of take this and look and think, well, the translation that renders this to abstain or to avoid every appearance of evil is probably not the best rendering of this. But we're talking about every form of evil, or the idea of practicing things that are evil. And so we think back to whether the the main text we had for tonight, or, or 1 John chapter 2, I'm going to reference this, but he describes three things there. The lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the boastful pride of life. These things are not from the Father. And how easily could we look through the entirety of Scripture's All the sinful things, it seems, to some degree may fit in one of those three categories. So let's think about that for just a second. Now, let's look into something here. Because when we look at things that are sinful, and we are to abstain from those things, I would ask if you would take your Bibles to Ephesians chapter 4. And I want to read something there. I'm actually going to bring this up on my phone and look at a kind of a different translation here. But Ephesians chapter 4, and we're going to look in verse 17. And this is where I want you to see a contrast to what we as Christians maybe used to do, but now what we are to do. And you're going to see this idea is portrayed again and again throughout the scriptures. So notice in chapter 4 verse 17, he says, So I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do and the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed. Okay, so I want you to notice here, we're we're talking tonight, avoid every form of evil or abstain from every form of evil. And look at the text here. Do you notice Paul's telling them don't walk or, or to live a certain way? What is that way? Mm-mm. Yeah. So is he just, is he talking just about non-Jews? Is that what he means here? What, what does he mean here? Sometimes you see that in the scriptures as non-Jews. What does it mean here? Exactly. So this is the people of the world. This is the people who, they're alienated. They're separated from him. They don't live for God. They live in this, as he says, the futility of their thinking. This is just a very emptiness, if you would. And from what you and I know through scriptures, this is never a good end. And so you notice in verse 18, verse 19 as well, I want you to to take note here. Why is it that they live this way? That's right. Yeah. And we have a problem in our culture. When we say ignorant, people say, well, that means someone's stupid. Okay, that, that's not what that is at all. Okay. It's someone who doesn't have an understanding. Sometimes it is willful, sometimes it is not, but it is someone who is ignorant. And in this case, it deals with a heart that has become harder. And I would often encourage Christians, okay? Christians to think about this. What can make my heart harder as a Christian? I'm not talking about the world. I'm talking about as a Christian. What can make my heart harder? To think about maybe if I have committed a sin, okay, I'm not gonna be perfect. None of us are. But if I have committed a sin, And I don't let the sorrow take me into a repentive heart that turns to God, and then, okay, here comes the next temptation. I do it again. And what happens each and every time if I don't go back to God? The heart gets harder and harder. Eventually, it's seared. It's like stone. And you get the people in these verses, they don't care. You're gone. That's the reality. And so, yes, they've lost all, as the NIV says, having lost all sensitivity in verse 19. I would say these are the people who no longer blush. Remember back in the Old Testament times, the people who were supposed to be the people of God, and they they no longer blushed at the evil that was being committed within the land. Now, let's think here. We as Christians are called to no longer live like the world. I want you to think what you know through the Gospels, not just what we've studied on Sunday mornings, what you've studied throughout the years, through the Gospels about Christ, when He is seeking to convert someone and draw them to the Father, something that He preached on at great lengths. And I'm going to elaborate on that in just a second. Because when I grew up, one of the things that I noticed very commonly, if I can just get the guy to the water... If I can just get him to the water, I can get him baptized. We're good to go. He's set for life. We're done, right? That's what it seems like sometimes is preached and taught. And then you would witness this person who, nobody's catching up with him. Nobody's seeing, are you okay? How are you doing in your life as a Christian now? And then this person wasn't taught one of the most fundamental things that Jesus taught, what I feel like was all the time. And we wonder why so many people fall away from the faith. And that very thing is that there is a cost of discipleship. That Jesus, when he is preaching to these people, he's telling them at great lengths, if you wish to follow me, deny yourself. Take up your cross daily and follow after me. And he's telling them there's going to be these things that you have to give up. Ways of life. There's going to be a reality that it's going to cost you. A lot of people are going to hate you. Yes, be a light to the world, but a lot of people are going to hate you. And it's going to be very challenging. And I say this for good reason, because Jesus was giving them the reality. This is what it's going to take. If you don't want to follow him, you go your own way. Think about the rich young ruler. What did he have? A lot of possessions. What did Jesus tell him? What's the one thing you need to do? Yeah. Yeah but I've got too much. I don't want to give it up. And then he went away sorrowful. It's a man who can't give up whatever it takes to follow Jesus. And we think back to some of the parables. I know, uh, I can't remember if it was Barry recently or one of the other guys who was teaching the class. But one of the parables that deals with the dinner feast, well, I've I married a wife or I bought oxen and I've got to go test them. Something else was priority above coming to the feast. Something else is priority above coming to Jesus. What about us? What do we put as priority above Christ? Now, I want to talk about a few things here that tend to be challenges. Challenges to the Christian. Challenges for us when it comes to, I'm supposed to abstain from every form of evil, but something gets in the way and tries to throw me off track. Something tries to take me down. The ultimate one that I think we all are are realizing here is the main culprit of what we're talking about in this class, Satan. Uh, The main focal point of so much of this. And I tend to think back to Judas and what he had to go through in his life concerning Satan because he had a a great temptation in his life. What was that? What what was he so tempted with? What's that? Yeah, money. Money. And so trusted as to the other apostles did not realize he had that issue. That's how much they trusted him. But he had a temptation, the love of money, he had the box, the the money box. We know that he would steal, and I I wonder if he just stole a little bit. I I don't know if he just did a a little bit to the point they didn't know. I, I don't know. But we start to find that temptation has overtaken him when you read this text that says that Satan has entered into Judas, and it's a text that always makes me think, did it get to the point that if I'm Judas, I just can't handle it anymore? Satan, you win. Have your way with me. And he goes to do Satan's bidding in order to betray Christ. Now, you know that was a, it led to a worldly sorrow that led to death. In this case, literally taking his own life. One of the other temptations and things that we are challenged by is the world itself. Think back to First Peter chapter 4. This is a text that I could reference over and over again. Could someone read verses 1 to 5? First Peter chapter 4. From verse one to verse five. five. What's that? Therefore, since Christ suffered for us in the flesh. Arm yourselves also with the same mind, for he who has suffered in the flesh has ceased from sin. And he no longer should live the rest of his time in the flesh for the lust of men, for the will of God. For we have spent enough of our past lifetime doing the will of the Gentiles. And we walk in lewdness, lust, drunkenness, revelries, drinking parties, and abominable idolatries. In regard to these, they think it strange that you do not run with them. The same flood of dissipation, speaking evil, they will give an account to him who is who is ready to judge the living. And living. Right, thank you. So, in that text, it it, it portrays some, some of the same thoughts we've already talked about tonight. But it's almost as if to say, Christians, you already had the time to live that way. You already had that time. Okay. And so he describes these different sinful things that you may used to have done prior to becoming a Christian. And here's the hard part of it, because we tend to think about the idea maybe of peer pressure, Well, or, you know, that, that's something high schoolers face, or that's something that people in middle school or elementary school face, and that, that's something for them. But the reality is, you and I face peer pressure. We're going to talk in just a moment about Peter who faced peer pressure in his life as someone who followed Christ. Now, think about you may have had relationships with people prior to becoming a Christian. You may have participated in certain things with those people prior to becoming a Christian. Now, what happens when, okay, uh, Joe Schmo is, is no longer spending his time doing these things with us and we keep inviting him, and he won't do it with us, and I don't get it. Now, how do they feel about that? At least in this text. What's that? Yeah, yeah. it's... This is a text I've almost called kind of a shock and awe. They, they're surprised. They don't understand it. It, just, it almost blows their mind. It's like saying... You used to do these things with us, and now you won't? And then there comes a really bad result. They slander you. Now, the problem with that sometimes when we have someone speaking against us, it's easy to say, oh, man, I'm sorry. Okay, let's go do that. Okay, I, I, didn't, I didn't mean it. I'm really not against those things. And, and so maybe we find ourselves recanting in those moments Or maybe we need to realize something that we're not standing before them in judgment. They, however, will stand before Him, God, in judgment. I'm not going to be held accountable standing before a person. I'm going to be held accountable before God. And I need to remember that just as they need to as well. Another example that we might consider that we're challenged by, and this is one that's kind of baffling at times, the religious. That seems kind of odd. And I bring that by maybe way of reminder because think back to Galatians chapter 2 when Paul is talking about Peter of all people. Now, I want you to think about something that Peter has done formerly. Peter has preached the gospel Also to who? Who do we think about when we get to Acts 10 and Acts 11 and on? Who did he preach the gospel to? Yeah, to Gentiles. Gentiles. Cornelius, his household, those involved in that time. We're preaching to Gentiles. And if I preach the gospel, I'm saying it's not just for Jews, it's for them. The gospel is for all, as we often say. And you could imagine having someone like Peter who would sit down, he would dine, even with the Gentiles. If I am to dine with someone, especially in their time, I'm saying, I'm having fellowship with you. I'm accepting you as part of the kingdom. And now imagine there was a time where these men come down from James, most likely from Jerusalem, these influential Judaizers of the time. And then what happens, instead of eating with Gentiles now, if I'm Peter... What do I begin to do? Yeah. I'm not going to eat with them now. It's a time of hypocrisy. I preached the gospel that said they're welcome. I used to eat with them. No, not, not now. Okay, you see the peer pressure? In this case, from those maybe of the faith even in some sense. Sometimes there's a danger even within the church today to compromise something for whatever reason another thing probably the last one I'll mention here that uh, by way of what we're challenged by uh, but this is something very deep the family i'm going to reference matthew chapter 10 from verse 34 really to about verse 39 it's a very challenging one where we see that the prince of peace says i didn't come to bring peace but a sword and he tells us how he came to set a man at variance against those in his house. When you think of a sword, when Christ speaks of a sword, and I know it was preached in the lesson recently, what do we tend to think about with that? What is this sword? You, I think you know this very well. What's that? Fighting? Fighting? Yeah. The the sword strikes down. What happens in the family? What happens when someone's choosing Jesus and someone's not in that text? He said, a man's foes will be they of his own household. Yeah. You could see in their time, especially, Imagine the context of Matthew chapter 10 when that whole chapter was getting his apostles ready to go to the lost sheep of the house of Israel. And you're going to go out. You'll perform miracles. You'll do all these great things. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse the lepers. Cast out demons. All of this that they're going to do. And he keeps going. And that's early in the chapter. That's the good part, right? And then as he delves through the chapter... He's telling them of times of persecution and even death. He's telling them of times of division, even in the same house. And that if you love your family more than him, you're not worthy of him. The need is to put Christ as priority. Christ is above all. That is a challenge. But we have a mission. We have a job. As Christians, our challenge is to abstain from every form or of evil, if you would. We are to not live that way. I find it intriguing when we think back to Ephesians chapter 5. I'll reference some things there as well. But in verse 9 and verse 10, I wrote here in my notes, when he's been making this contrast between the light and the darkness. We used to be of the darkness. We're children of light now. We're those of the day. But in verse 9 and verse 10, he talks about the fruit of the light that consists in all goodness, righteousness, and truth. Verse 10, he says, as you try to learn what is pleasing to the Lord. How do you know what God wants you to do? Truthfully, how do you know what God wants you to do? What's that? Yeah. When I look at Jesus and I see him going back to scripture, a spiritual confrontation, how many times does he go back to scripture? You've, okay, it is written. Or you ha- have you not read? Let me rephrase it there. He'll say, have you not read? And he'll describe something that was related in the scriptures. What did Jesus say that we are to live by? Think back to the temptations he faced, Matthew 4 and Luke 4. Man shall not live by bread alone. Yeah. Every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Yeah. How important is it to the Christian to know what the Scriptures say? And I say that because you you read time and time again, whether it's the actual quote of God's people perish for a lack of knowledge, or literally seeing that displayed, maybe in Old Testament times, people who didn't have a knowledge of God as they ought, and they're destroyed. They perish. They reject His will. They choose their will instead of His. We think back to, to Romans chapter 1. I'll just reference this, but verse 18 to 32, where you see a people who've rejected God's wisdom. They've chosen their own, and they serve the creature rather than the Creator. Okay, God says, I'm giving you over. He gives them over to this reprobate mind. They they do things that are unnatural. Men and their lust to men, women to women. And then you read through the rest of that chapter, and I would say, that looks a lot like America. Looks a lot like Rome back then, I'm sure. But it looks a lot like America today. I want you to notice, I'm going to reference a few texts. We're going to read through some of these but about the Scriptures calling to us to abandon the ways of the world. And I put about, let's see, five different texts on this. This is just a few. There are so many that give this regard. Of course, we just reference some from Ephesians chapter 5. Really, I uh, put about verse 3 to 11. You can read through the whole chapter. But I want you to keep in mind there, uh, one of the things that he does in that section, again, some of this I'm just going to reference, I won't read through it. But one of the things that he does within that section, he talks about sinful things that if you do, you can't inherit the kingdom of God. And he tells them, let no one deceive you with empty words, for it is because of these things that the wrath of God comes upon the sons of disobedience. Have you ever had someone try to deceive you to think that if I choose the ways of the world, I will still be with God? He said, let no one deceive you with empty words. And he tells the reality in 1 Corinthians 6, verse 9 and verse 10. I'll just reference. But again, the different sinful things that they used to practice there. If we are to do those things, again, we do not inherit the kingdom of God. Uh, A brother just read a moment ago from 1 Peter chapter 4. Verse 1 to verse 5, and remember the end result that is given there. What about those who slander the ones who are doing what's right? They will give an account to whom? He who's ready to judge the living and the dead. I want to look, if you would, in a couple of texts, though. One of them being Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 to verse 9. Uh, If someone wouldn't mind reading Colossians chapter 3, verse 5, down to verse 9, and then we're going to read in Galatians chapter 5. I'm going to bring that up on uh, my phone here. But again, Colossians chapter 3, verse 5 to verse 9. Could someone read that? Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you, sexual immorality, impurity, passions, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. But now you must put them all away. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk, and from your mouth do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices. All right, thank you. And it's gonna go on to then talk about the new self and the transformation and the things that are to take place. But are you guys catching on some similarities here with the text we've referenced, the different texts that we've referenced so far? Because it's continually about, okay, do away with a certain way of life. That's how you used to live. And it's continually about, if I choose that way of life, if I could paraphrase it like this, I won't be in heaven. If I could paraphrase it that way, whether it's you will not inherit the kingdom of God or it talks about the wrath of God coming upon certain ones, the reality is I won't have the reward and the hope. And I want you to notice one more. I'm going to read from Galatians chapter five. And you recall as he talks about the deeds of the flesh and the fruit of the spirit. And as I go through this, I want you to think about one part of the fruit specifically, as I re- read through the deeds of the flesh. That being the idea of self-control. And think, as I read through the deeds of the flesh, how many of these things go against the idea of self-control? Just think about that for a moment as I go through this. But look, if you would, verse 19. He says, Now the deeds of the flesh are evident, which are sexual immorality, impurity, indecent behavior, idolatry, witchcraft, hostility, strife, jealousy, outbursts of anger, selfish ambition, dissensions, factions, envy, drunkenness, carousing, and things like these, of which I forewarn you just as I have forewarned you that those who practice such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. But the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things, there is no law. Now again, with that mindset that I I mentioned just a moment ago, self-control, how many of the things when you looked at the deeds of the flesh show the idea that I abandoned self-control? And reality, how many of those things? What are some of the things you noticed there? Yeah. You see why they're at enmity with each other? Why they're at odds? They can't coexist. They fight against each other. They war against each other. And the same result is there. We will not inherit the kingdom of God if we practice those things. That's the warning that he's given. Now, I'm not going to take time tonight necessarily to go through and elaborate on all those things. I'm pretty sure Barry's probably done that in the past for you guys or whoever's taught through Galatians chapter 5. I'm sure they have. But let's think for just a moment. We see that the scriptures teach us, okay, do away with these ways of the world. And my question with that in mind is, why do we need to abandon the ways of the world? I've got a list of reasons I wrote, but I want to ask that question to you guys. Why should we abandon the ways of the world? The spirit yeah. The right. Yeah, absolutely. And as a Christian, we're striving to put on that image of Christ. We're striving to look like him. And, and I want to kind of tie what you said really into, I'm just going to reference it, okay? But Colossians 3, into verse 9, as you go throughout the rest of that chapter. Colossians 3, I've often described as a Christian manuscript in many form. There's so much packed in that chapter, especially even going into chapter four, but it becomes about putting on a new self. So the things that we used to do, those fleshly things, they don't look like Christ. Now think about the concept. If I am going to someone and I'm seeking to talk to them about the gospel, and I'm saying, hey, hey man, come on, let's go get drunk and let's talk about Jesus, What's that going to do? Really, what is that going to do? It's going to destroy every shred of credibility. Because what I am teaching them is that Jesus does not equate to cost. That Jesus does not equate to changing my life. That Jesus says, not just come as you are, stay as you are. That's what I'm teaching the world. We come as we are. We absolutely do. We sing about that even. But the gospel is a gospel, not just of saving souls and freeing us from sin, but it is a gospel of transformation. I have to let him take over my life, and I have to reflect the image of my creator. We might consider another reason to abandon the ways of the world is because we are here to let our light shine. Now, I'm going to tell you, as Jesus would often tell us, there's two sides of this coin. There's the side of, yes, you live this way, the world's going to hate you. How many times did he tell his apostles or disciples, the world will hate you? Or they know that they hated him first. Or sometimes he goes to the extreme when you open up John 16, and he talks about a time in which those who kill you think they're doing a service to God. you imagine that? People in their day literally taking them, killing them, crucifying them, burning them at the stake, whatever it is, and thinking we're serving God by doing this. That's what our brethren went through. I'm not trying to discredit any form of persecution we have gone through from a day to day. I'm not. But I want you to see it can get very tough in every single way. The reality though, we are to let our light shine for good reason. What is the purpose that Jesus told us to let our light shine? (coughs) So that others can see him. Yeah. We need them to see Jesus. We need to be this beacon of light. We talk about a city set up on a hill that cannot be hidden. That's what we ought to be. I can't be the light and I can't be that city or or even part of that city if I look just like the world. Because the contrast in Scriptures is often you have the world of darkness. What's the opposite of darkness? Light. Sometimes the darkness will hate the light. And because it exposes what the world has done. Their deeds are evil sometimes the world will see there's a difference. I have known people who have talked about this. One who, in his workplace in times past, one of the the women there, she she noticed you don't speak like the rest who say they're Christians. You, You don't cuss. You're not drinking. You're not doing all these things. There's something very different about you. And so she asked him to teach her and to teach her children of his Christ. That's what we're striving to do. Okay, we have to set the example. Another reason that we might think about, and this is just, I'll go briefly into this, but even in Ephesians chapter 3, we're to display the manifold wisdom of God. And that's just something, uh, if you studied through that chapter or that book, you know that probably very well. Uh, Another that I'll mention here as well, this goes back to 1 John chapter 1, just to reference this from verse 5 to verse 10. But, So we'll have access to the blood of Christ. If I live in the darkness, we tend to know the result of that. But if I am to walk in the light as He is the light, what's the result of that? Do you remember? I know you haven't studied it recently necessarily in here, but we have this fellowship with one another, and the blood of His Son cleanses us from our sins. Now, uh, I'm going to go forward into something else here in just a moment. But anything that you guys want to mention at least to this point? And also a question too, how many minutes do we have? Sitting there is different than doing this. How many minutes do we have? Five minutes? Okay. Okay. I want you to think maybe one of the last things here is the idea of how can we get past falling to these ways of the world? How can we get past falling to... Living and abiding by things that are worldly. And one of these things that tends to come to my mind is we've got to change what we eat. This is not a diet program, okay? But we've got to change what we eat. And I think you know where I'm going with this. Sometimes I think about this in an odd way for myself, even physically. There was probably a decade ago, I was trying to figure out Okay, I think I'm allergic to this, possibly. Maybe I'm allergic to that. Is it sugar causing some issues that I'm having? And and right now, I can tell you, I'm pre-diabetic. Okay, back then, I don't know what I was. But I had a problem. I had a big sweet tooth. And I thought, maybe if I could find the right thing that doesn't have all the stuff I might be allergic to. So I, I went to Aldi. I found what ended up being where you can make a batch of double chocolate chip cookies, still had all the sugar, which is probably worse than everything else, and it was supposed to make 22 normal-sized cookies. <laughs> it made about 11, <laughs> because of the way I did it, about 11 giant cookies. And uh, those cookies lasted about a day. I won't tell you who ate them. Um, I did the same thing again two days later. And I think I shared one of those cookies. I ate the rest. Now, I say that because at the very beginning, this is great, dopamine. I'm feeling pretty good. You keep going. (laughs) You don't feel good after a while. I can tell you at the end of those two days, I'm surprised I wasn't in a diabetic coma. The way I felt, I felt like death to say the least. If we can consider, it's very similar when we talk about sin because sin in the moment No doubt, it's a pleasure. Everyone would agree, I think, that it is a pleasure. The Hebrew writer says he calls it the passing pleasures of sin, but that's all it is. You start down that path, it feels good at first. Sometimes you may begin to numb yourself to it, but before you know it, you're gone. It eats at you, it destroys you, it takes you away. We have to start changing what we take in. And can I ask you a question? Is it important? What we take in, whether by what we read, what we watch, what we listen to, are these things important at all? I mean, I can tell you, and you could probably tell me if all I listen to is things that are purely negative, I'm going to be pretty negative. If all I listen to are things that just are filled with profanity, what happens when I stub my toe in the middle of the night? I'm saying the words I've been hearing all day. You get the idea. It gets deeper than that. But we start to become what we have eaten of the fleshly nature when we need to take in things of a spiritual nature. Uh, We might often think about the need to replace as well. And and really, when you look through the scriptures, whether the, the Colossians text that we read a moment ago, whether we look at Galatians, there's these things that are sinful and we need to replace them with things that are good, things that are godly. And maybe if I could ask the question, what are certain things that you tend to think of that we may struggle with, but we could replace them with something different? What if I struggled maybe with the love of money? What could be a means to help me towards contentment? Being generous? Absolutely. So if I go and I'm I'm being more giving and I'm helping others and I'm going down that path and I'm making it that it's not about me and the love of those things, let me replace it with something better. Okay? If I have a habit of lying, what do I need to replace it with? Speak the truth, each one of you, to your neighbor. Think back to Ephesians 4. And I would encourage you guys to think about this more deeply than what I've just said. I would encourage you to take some time Next couple of days, and just think about okay. I struggle with this fill in the blank, and then start to think what is something that I can replace this with that is good and pure and godly, and that will help me to overcome whatever that issue is. Uh, one last thing, I'll. Tr- I think we got a few seconds, but we need to learn discernment. Think back to Hebrews, the brethren that is. Did the last bell ring? Or not yet? Okay. But think about the brethren there, and we've talked about this before. I know Barry has talked about it before. But brethren who have gone back to these this elementary way of thinking, and they needed the basics again. They needed to be able to have the meat. They needed to be able to have this discernment, and that by this discernment, by this training of themselves. They could discern between good and evil. Let me ask you a question. How do we learn to do that? How do you learn to discern between good and evil as a Christian? Is it always just a thou shalt not in the Scriptures? Is it always as simple as that or is it deeper than that? Yeah, I wish we could talk about that one. That's one that, (laughs) yeah, that's one I would love to talk about. Maybe we will at some point, uh, one of the next times I do the class, Lord willing. But uh, thank you guys for the class. Thank you for your participation.